Mike Kiss Army. Welcome to the Kiss FAQ Podcast. Thank you for giving us your time today. Nothing is into your head. I hope you don't do any damage. This is a Kiss-related podcast by the board for the board. We hope that you enjoy. Five, four, three, two, one. Welcome to the Kiss FAQ Podcast. I'm your host today, Julian Gill, admin on the FAQ message board, and I am joined by a special guest, David Donnelly. Good to meet you. uh, We've known one another online for quite a few years, and for anyone who doesn't know you, why don't you just give them the 50,000-foot view of who are you? (laughs) Well, I'm a a seasoned session musician, live in studio, and uh, played with a lot of sort of uh, artists much bigger than me, and... um, and so, uh, you know, I've, I've been I've been touring the world for the last uh, last sort of 12 years or so. Um, I've t- we'll, we'll talk about a single that I've got coming out soon, but I've done something of my own. Um, but uh, yeah, I've basically uh, I've basically been a sideman to to uh, many many better known people than myself. Um, but I'm obviously a uh, I'm, I'm a big Kiss fan, and. Uh, and, and, a, and a big record collector as well. I mean, I do have about a thousand CDs upstairs, but we're sitting in my middle room, which is the room that I like. It's, I was, I've just said to uh, Julian in the warm-up that it's very, uh, it's usually a lot darker in here, and I usually just play my records, my vinyl in here, and so uh, all my Kiss books are in here, and all my Kiss records are in here. So uh, this is this is my happy place. So, <laughs> welcome, welcome to it. So one of the things I've always told people on the show is that I want guests and friends on from all over the world. And yeah. obviously it's many years since I lived in England and and Britain, for that matter. So it's great to get someone on who is still residing on the Septic Isle. Uh, yeah. Because my accent comes and goes. And as yeah. I have another beer, it'll probably come on a little bit stronger. But what I always like to do with a new guest is kind of introduce them um, to everyone else with their kiss perspective and what was the moment that you first experienced kiss because as a brit it's going to be a little bit different probably than many people so what was that first moment that drew your attention to them well it was um you know it was it was uh it's a weird one because i was about 11 years old and my family um my family moved from uh, a, a a city in a town in in england called northampton to a city in uh, england called norwich which is where we are now and i was like i say i was about 11 years old brand new place you know all a bit scared and uh, my mother said to me um she said you should go and say hello to the the lad next door called bob he's really into music just like you and because uh, I was already playing and I was really into bands like Sweet and stuff like that, you know, and uh, and, 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 and a bit of punk rock and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, I went and met Bob and Bob uh, showed me his, his room upstairs. And the first thing I saw when I went in was one of those massive Kiss posters that they used to make, you know, the really big ones. And it was like a sort of, a you know, a live live 1977 montage poster type thing, you know. And uh, And I just pointed at it and just said, who's that you know it's less of what is that and he sort of he pulled out alive too and uh i just i just remember staring at the cover cover uh, with gene with the blood and because gene's never ever looked like that ever again did he really you know there's something about that face but um it just looked incredible and the fire in the middle of it you know in the in the center um gatefold and so he put it on and that was it i was there i was there 
But the uh, the strangest thing and um, is that the first Kiss album that I owned was uh, this lad Bob. He went to Canada for a holiday with his family, and uh, he came back with a Kiss album. And he came round to my house, and he said, "I bought I bought this Kiss album in Canada, and I don't like it. it doesn't sound very good at all. You can have it if you like." And he gave it to me, saying he didn't like it. And it was that. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> um, and he's right. It doesn't sound great, as in quality-wise. You know, it's, you know, obviously, because he was about, you know, 12 years old or whatever as well. So he didn't really know. I didn't know what bootlegs were. He didn't know what bootlegs. He'd just see it and, it, and it didn't look like anything that he'd got before. And then after that, my sister, bless her, went to America for a holiday. And uh, I got the bug by this point. And she bought me this back. No. Oh. And it's an American dynasty. Sorry, dynasty. dynasty. No. Yeah. It, we, what do you say? I I still say I I don't know. I flip between both. So. Yeah. It's, it's dynasty though, isn't it? They they say dynasty. Like oh oh dynasty. Well, you see, dynasty is the TV series. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> so I have upgraded to things like this since, <laughs> which is good and. Um, and I just, I, that was my start, basically. And, and I think, you know, we've heard the story so many times on KISS podcasts that um, basically from that point on, it was every Christmas, every birthday, what would you like? Dress to kill, please. Hotter than hell, please. Alive one, please. You know, that sort of thing. And uh, I built up the collection of um, every KISS album on vinyl, except for when they stopped with things like Carnival and Souls and stuff like that. But... Uh, uh, but nowadays I get a real kick out of. Um, I mean, I got this the other day. I saw this on the on uh, on one of the Wax episodes, which uh, and it's the the orange one, which uh, which I love. And also being British, um, I was very lucky to get these bad boys all in a row. Oh, I loved those back in the day. Are those the coloured yeah. vinyl or the black vinyl? Coloured vinyl with the mask and everything. But the weird thing is, I've actually got. Do you? Do you know, Julian, why I might have two of these? Um, the what? The the misprint one and the regular one. It's not misprint. I don't I'd know. Say it's, Tell me. It's got love in. One of them's got love in chains oh, so, on the yeah. back. Yeah, the only, one's got the only copies I ever owned had love in chains on them. I never had one that had uh, what's the B side supposed to be goodbye. goodbye. So I, I never found one that had goodbye on it. So. Yeah, back yeah, when yeah. I collected singles. But uh, you were saying that you know you were into the suite, and what were kind of your entry points into music, artist-wise? I'm, I'm thinking early '70s, uh, Slade and the Suite and and whatnot, Gary Glitter and all that sort of thing. Where, what were the bands that interested you that really drew you into music before you even got into Kiss? Um, well, it was basically you know you have to sort of rem uh, uh, younger people don't quite understand the whole thing of programs like top of the pops that we had in england which was basically if you missed it on a thursday at seven o'clock that was it you couldn't talk about it in the playground and and you guys or maybe not you julian but uh, american people it's the same with things like the paul lind special or whatever or phantom of the park if you weren't there that night to watch it you were stuffed you know you you, you didn't see it and then you had to wait and you had to hear everyone talking about it so my entry point was programs like Top of the Pops. I'd already, my dad, bless him, um, 
he's he's my late father now sadly but uh he uh he was a jazz musician and i didn't i wasn't really into the jazz thing because i tried i i discovered the drum kit in the in the basement at about age 5 and the stuff that he was playing me sounded impossible absolutely impossible um but when i started seeing you know for want of a better term pop bands as it were back in the day although they are now we see them as rock bands bands like the sweet and slade and what have you I suddenly realized that with my uh, my record player next to my little drum kit, I could play along to these things and Queen and all sorts of stuff. And uh, and the same. And when punk happened, I suddenly realized that all this time where I just thought I, I have to be a drummer because that's what I am. I always fancied playing guitar. But, I you know, I started getting into things like, you know, Dave Gilmore and things like that. Whereas, again, it's unobtainable, isn't it? And then good old. Pistols came along, and the Buzzcocks, and the Clash, and what have you. And all of a sudden, as long as I could play a power chord, I could work out how they all went. And um, and so for me, you know, a, a very very sort of quick summing up would be uh, listening to my dad's jazz stuff, and then top of the pops with the glam stuff. So I discovered all the glam stuff, punk rock, and then like I say, 1978 discovered Kiss, and and again, nothing against Peter Chris, but there's not a great deal that he does that I can't do, as it were. You know, do you know what I mean? It's it's like I I could play along to Kiss albums, and um and that's that and then and then I just you know. But I've always just loved so much different types of stuff, you know. But the two my two favourite bands are the Sex Pistols and Kiss, and I find it quite odd that I've got at least four friends that that's the same for as well. Yeah, there 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 are quite a few of us actually because obviously we've talked a little about about the Pistols and whatnot. Yeah. That they're pretty high up on my list of bands. When I put on my guitar, there's a natural inclination when I'm warming up just to rip through something like Pretty Vacant. Um, oh. You know, just very basic guitar that brings you back to the adage that it's not how many notes you play, it's how you play the notes Absolutely. that you play. You know, Absolutely. so it, it's a very simple song, but it's yeah. a, it's a perfect song in many ways. So, you know, we'll talk probably a little bit about this, the pistols yeah. in, in a few minutes and whatnot. Um, I was never I was never into the sort of safety pins through the ears and the colored air and all that sort of stuff. It was it was the music. It was that it was that wall of guitar sound, you know, that I just thought, whoa, that sounded amazing. It was bigger than sweet. It was bigger than Slade. It was just this wall. I mean, maybe Chris Thomas as a producer is the person that got me into the Pistols. Who knows, you know, but it was that wall of sound. The first time I got played a, a Pistols record, it just, it was a bit of a road to Damascus moment, you know. <laughs> it, it certainly was for me because, you know, once I picked up Nevermind the Bollocks and then I went back to the singles and oh. to the bootlegs and Spunk in particular, yeah. which is the version I listen to rather than anything else. And suddenly you discover that it's there's a wall of sound there, but there's also a deadly backbeat between yeah. Cookie and Glenn, and, and they're really holding everything down. And Steve, I mean, yeah. is he ever going to compete with you know some of the flashy guitar players that come along later, or Brian May, or Ken Downing, or Glenn Tipton? No. It's what he's doing with what his tools are, and yeah, and, yeah. and obviously John's um, 
lyrics on top of all yeah. of that brings the whole package together for me so you know it became a real adventure into a whole different sort of music as I, I, I started to dig into these bands clash never did anything for me past the second yeah, album I was a big fan, but later on i sort of I, you know I, I discovered them well not discovered them but I, I got into them a, a lot later a bit more sort of thing but i'll tell you this um uh, we're obviously we're, we're obviously going to talk about you know glenn and stuff later and what have you but i did last year i actually got asked if i would drum tech for paul cook um the drummer for the pistols and i tell you I, to, to be hidden from the crowd i had to crouch behind the bass amp and i was literally about three feet my nose was three feet from his hi-hat and just watching the way he played and the foot and everything and uh it was with the band professionals that he plays in but they do do they do songs like silly thing and what have you and uh but it's just just watching him you know this guy that i you know i don't want to say idolize because i've never been very starstruck i just think you know I, people are either great musicians or they're not i don't get wobbly at meeting anyone but to sit there behind a bass amp looking at paul cook's actual playing was was pretty cool it was pretty special and what you were saying about it's not how many notes and all that sort of stuff i think without wanting to start a great big bun fight about it that is the (laughs) difference that that is the difference between ace freely and tommy thayer i'm sorry tommy's an amazing player technically he plays it right every single time but the thing i loved about ace is the fact that it could fall to bits at any minute and i love raw dangerous rock and roll yeah, Ace, uh, Ace is always teetering on the brink of an absolute yeah. disaster. You don't know if yeah. he's going to finish the song standing up or falling over, where, yeah. where the wheels are going to fall off. But again, it's down to that that thing that you really can't quantify in music, the, the feel. It's the, sleazy rock and roll. Sleazy rock and roll, that's what it is. Same with Peter Chris. He used to, there's several videos of Peter Chris where he does a drum fill where I'm absolutely convinced he's not going to make it around the kit, and he does. You know, it's just because he, he's, well, whatever, um, you know, he might be under the influence of. But there, there are certain gigs where you can just tell, he's, you know, is he going to make it through? And uh, that's what I liked about the, the original Kiss was that uh, it was dirty, raw rock and roll. So as everyone listening can figure, we're going to be all over the board today with what we're talking about <laughs> musically. We're coming into, we're going to talk some new stuff that David's worked on. We're going to be going back into the Kiss angle. Uh, who knows? I, th- there's no yeah. plan for where we're going on this, but I do want to talk about the new single that you've got out. Um, Thank you. So let's let's get in and play a little bit of Sidewand crashing up off the new Venus reaction song.
I'm sorry, that makes me smile every time I listen to it. Uh, yes, I'm, I'm going to say I'm guilty of one thing, and that my immediate thought after listening to the single, and we'll play some of the B-side as well uh, a little yeah. bit later, is um, I was thinking sonically the production reminded me very much of Paul Stanley's Live to Win album. That, ah. it, that it's got uh, it, it's got everything I love about punk pop. Yeah. It's got hooks. I, yeah. lo- I love your vocalist. I, yes, I, I think she does an absolutely brilliant job singing that. The, uh, the, the changes in voice just come across yes. perfectly. Um, and, you know, I'm not going to stroke you, but I love the arrangement. I love the song. I think it's a really, really hooky, catchy song. And I'm bopping my head. I don't fake it. So uh, Cheers. I'll, I'll take that because uh, obviously, well, I don't know, because I don't know whether you've actually got a copy yet, but it's um, I'm the producer. So uh, I produced it. OK, well, so. very well done. Uh, <laughs> but you also play guitar on that track, correct? Yeah. And yeah, that's Again, it gets back to a little bit of what we were talking about with like a Steve Jones is that you're not bombing a hell of a lot of notes. You're no. just playing the right stuff in the right place. And I, I don't want to go into, you know, a, a critique of your playing yeah. because I'm just not a good enough guitarist to go there. Um, and it would just be, it'd be a real prat if I did. But, you know, yeah. it's fun. It makes me smile. And I, I do want to say... To, the purpose of this show is to get this single, uh, you know, some more coverage out there. So I do hope that people will uh, give the Venus Reaction a chance. They're, tell us about the single and uh, where they can get it. Number one, and listen to right. hopefully some samples. Well, there's a there's a Facebook page for a start. So go and find the Venus Reaction on on Facebook. Um, and there's a, there's lots of videos. There's the recording process. There's a, there's a sort of Q and A with Amy. Um, and there's all sorts of bits and pieces on there. But what it what it is is, like I said to you at the beginning, I, I'm you know session guy playing with lots of different people, and um, and kind of taking the Kiss model of wanting the to, to have a band that you, you you'd like to see, you know. But in their case, it was to see on stage. For me, it was what I'd like to hear, and I had a sort of wish list of who I wanted to do the single with because I'd been drumming a lot. I've been doing a lot of drumming, and I really wanted to get the guitar out again. And um, the first person I asked was Ed Graham from The Darkness. And uh, I believe The Darkness are, you know, are, are known in America, certainly, you know, um, for anyone who believes in a thing called love. Obviously, they, uh, <laughs> that, that will ring true. And um, so I asked Ed, because when I was doing the demo, I was trying to play like Ed. Um, I wanted that sort of solid boom crack thing. And we're, we're friends, you know. But and, and, and I just said to him in the end, I said, would you play on something that I've got an idea for? And he just said yes, and uh, and then myself and Amy had already met. I had done a session job um, for I was playing guitar for a band called Sham Sixty Nine. Do you know them? I have heard of them. Yes, yeah, <laughs> if the United and all that sort of stuff. And I was doing these gigs with them, and Amy was actually the drummer in the support band, believe it or not, you know. And I was talking to her afterwards, and she was just saying, "Yeah, I, I want to sing though. I want because I was saying you're a really good drummer, you know, double kick and everything, you know." And um, I said, uh, she said to me, you know, I really want to sing. And I said, well, send me, send me something you've done, and I'd like to hear it, you know, just quite casually. And then she did send me a little demo that she'd done, and I thought, that's that sounds like a voice that I wouldn't mind hearing on stuff. And so, you know, a little bit while later, when I was putting this together, I just thought, I'm going to ask Amy if she'll do it, and she said yes. And so then there was only really the bass position left, and I'd already put a bass down for it, and. Um, I've been the drummer on and off 
whenever he's needed me for Glenn Matlock from the Sex Pistols. For uh, although uh, that'll annoy him if he sees this. If I say Glenn Matlock from the Sex Pistols, because the thing I love about Glenn is that he does so much different stuff. He's an amazing bass player and a brilliant songwriter. And I, you know, I've seen him play with the Faces, Primal Scream. You know, he's he's done a lot. He's done a lot. But yes, he got his big push initially with the Pistols. You know. Um, but it's his bass style. He plays with his fingers. You know, I play with a plectrum, dung, 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 dung sort of thing. And then I just suddenly started thinking, my God, what a rhythm section featuring Ed Graham and Glenn Matlock. So I just, I, <laughs> one day, I just, one day I just asked him, I said, Glenn, I'm, I've got this single that I quite fancy doing. Any chance you play bass on it? And without even batting an eyelid, he said, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, I'll do that for you. So it looks like this. Is that coming up okay? Yep, that looks fine. In fact, I've got the original painting behind me. Look, can you see that? Oh, I thought that was one that you put in a frame up there. No, it's it's it's, it's actually a full-sized canvas painting. You know, everything I did with this single, I did it how exactly how I wanted it to be. That's why it is. You know, it's a clear vinyl, seven-inch single, with stuck to it <laughs> a download card. Um, because I do understand that not everyone's got a record player. Mm-hmm. And so the download card comes with uh, lyrics and a biog and photos and an extra track. It's got the demo on it. Um, and uh, and I've kept it off iTunes, kept it off Spotify, all that sort of stuff. Because even I, if, it, if it fails because of what I'm doing, then I'd rather it failed because I did it from the heart. You know, and that's why um, I spoke to people like yourself about it, and and I, I wanted to get it in front of people who'd really enjoy it, rather than you know pulling a few strings so I could go on sort of big radio stations like you know Radio One or or try and you know get on that sort of stuff, because I think people will buy it just because it's a collector's item. There are only five hundred worldwide. And I, I'm not going to repress it if it sells out. You know, I want it to be special, like, like, again, without wanting to sound like someone's granddad, you know, like how it was for me when things would just sell out. You know, I mean, uh, you know, I remember Ace Freely was the hardest solo single to get, the blue one, yeah. you know, and just, uh, and it took me ages to get it, even as a sort of young guy. And I finally found one and completed my collection. And, that's the sort of thing I want people to get from this. I want it to sell out so that then people just think, wow, that was special. I've got one, you know, and uh, am I allowed to do a quick advert for where you can get it from? Absolutely. I mean, please do, because I want people to have the, the same sort of reaction. Yeah, we're talking some Kiss here. We're talking some of David's new single here and some of his influences in the bands that you've worked with. But the whole idea is we're going to play some of these singles and hopefully it's going to you know, have a same reaction for them that it had for me. That no, pe- I, no I, pun intended. No pun intended whatsoever. Uh, in that I like this, that it's caught my attention. It's a new music discovery. And at my age, I love discovering new music that I haven't heard or, you yeah. know, finding an artist that then makes me dig into maybe something else that they've done. So please do let everyone yeah. know where they can find this. Well, I mean, you know, I've done everything myself. PR, I haven't got a PR company on it. I haven't got a management company on it because I've been part of the machine, as we like to call it, you know, the industry machine, and I really wanted to do this outside of it. So uh, the only help I've got is the actual, the record company that's pressed it for me is called Plain Groovy, um, and that's because the guy that owns it is, a, is an airline pilot. <laughs> Um, but he had the same reaction to you. He basically, he was, um, I was trying to find someone who'd put it out for me, and I met a friend of a friend who sent him an MP3 of Crashing Up, and he got, he, within 10 minutes, he was on the phone saying, I've just been jumping around my living room, 
you know, and and he's older than me or you, you know, and uh, I hope he doesn't watch this, but he is. <laughs> so, uh, but um, you know, he, he had the same reaction. Again, excuse the pun, but um, I'm really pleased that that is the sort of that's what people are saying is that it's just it just it's just an energetic kick-ass track. But um, down to where you can get it from. Again, I wanted to do it through. I wasn't going to do it through someone like Pinnacle or Shellshock or any of these big distributors. Um, they're decent distributors, but basically, if you want a copy, go to www.burningshed.com. And Burning Shed, I worked for them for four years in Norwich, um, and they deal with even though they're they're in a town like Norwich and what have you, they deal with some pretty major artists such as uh, Porcupine Tree, King Crimson. Um, XTC, uh, just loads of you know, like that. Really, it's, it's quite a decent distributor, but they happen to be in Norwich. I happen to work for them, so clearly, that's who I wanted to do it through. And the other distributor that you can get it from is www.themerchdesk, as in merchandise, themerchdesk.com, and that's run by you know one woman. And again, she does sort of cottage industry for bands. Uh, they sell T-shirts and their albums through her. And again, she's someone who who, who is a, a Nelly, bless her. She is a, a passionate lady who, who loves music. And the people at Burning Shed love what they do. And so that's why I didn't want to send it anywhere else. Um, and uh, as I'm from Norwich... I really wanted to have it sold in a record shop. Now, obviously, this is no good for this podcast, but one record shop called Sound Clash in Norwich. Um, you know, you can physically walk in there, look through the racks. It's on the wall, and you can actually purchase it as a single in a record shop. And that was the romance for it for me. Um, but, uh, yeah, I really wanted it to be seven-inch clear. And I, I also, right down to the fact that I wanted it to be glass clear so you could right, actually see through it. And I don't know whether you can see there, my guitar, that is actually my Les Paul after a particularly bad gig in Liverpool. <laughs> As you can see, it's, it's splattered with my blood, but I just wanted to sort of, you know, I wanted something that signified that I've bled for my art. Um, and the thing is, you know, I wanted everyone that was involved in it to have a slightly different role. Like Ed in the Darkness, he said, you know, he said that in the Darkness, you know, they, 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 you know, they rehearsed and rehearsed and rehearsed and they really sort of, you know, honed it down and stuff. And and this was just me saying, do you want to come and play on this? And the same with Glenn, you know, no fanfare, no, I've you know, I've I've kept uh, mentioning his past to a very bare minimum when I've been doing radio interviews and and press and what have you. I mean, they're always going to put it, but for me, I wanted it on there because I just thought he'd enjoy being with a different bunch of people, which I think he did. Um, because you think of the ages, Amy's twenty four, um, you know, Amy's twenty four, Ed's forty. I'm just just hit 50 and Glenn's just nudged 60. So it's it's you know it, I love the idea that it's lots of different people and they all do different things. Amy is um Amy is a cover model on various things. In fact, have I got it? Yes. There you go. That's this is Amy in her sort of day job. Oh, she's a gorgeous lass with a great voice. She has got a pair of lungs on her, that's for sure. And uh, but the thing is, she she genuinely just loves rock and roll. You know, she is a as you can see, she's a, there's a picture of her with a with a drumstick somewhere, but oh, I can't find it. But there's another one. So I mean, she is. But you should see her on stage. I mean, we've obviously not done gigs in this lineup, and that was another thing um, about the Venus reaction is that I, I kept telling people it's a one-off single. It's our debut and farewell. 
which I thought was quite a romantic thing. Um, and it is. It, I mean, me and Ed will probably do some music together. Me and me and Amy are definitely going to do some um, music together. And as far as I'm aware, I'm still the drummer in Glenn Matlock and the Philistines. So, I mean, if that pokes its head up again, Glenn will give me a shout and I'll go and sit on the drums for him. Um, but, uh, no, there won't be another Venus Reaction single um, there won't be a repress, and so you know. I'm sorry if I'm sounding a little bit like a salesman, but I don't want anyone to miss out because I, as a record as a record collector, know what it feels like to think oh, I'll get that at some point, and then you, then it's gone and it's gone, and I, I want it to be gone. Do you know what I mean? I know it sounds a bit perverse, but I sort of love the idea that there was this band that wasn't a band, and they all came together just the once. And and they nailed this thing and, down. And they made some glorious music, and then yeah. and then that was I, it. So yeah, I mean, I hope people don't hate me for sounding sort of I don't know, not big headed and stuff. But I think it's two cracking tracks. And I, I would also like to say that when we're talking about the ages of things, <clears throat> in between touring, I'll give you this little story as well because I think it's important. In between story, in in between Tories touring, in between Tories, good God, <laughs> edit that out. In between, yeah, too right. Yeah, edit her out. Um, in between touring and all the other stuff, um, there was a friend of mine asked me if I would be interested in helping out at a youth club for kids that were, you know, traumatized by something that had happened to them. You know, like some sort of bad thing. They had sort of sport there and they had art and stuff like that. But they they had a music room, but they didn't really have a lot of. They didn't have any staff that really knew what they were doing with the music. They didn't know how to plug stuff in and what have you. So. Um, I said, yeah, I'll come in, I'll come in and have a look and, and what have you. And there was a few kids there wanted to learn a bit of a drum beat. And the way I did it was, it wasn't proper teaching. It was like, what's your favourite band? What's the favourite song that you like? And then I'd teach them that song. And then one day, there was this girl came, was given, was, was sort of, I was asked if I would see this girl called Chelsea, Chelsea Riley. And she was 15 at the time. And she had been, uh, it's okay to talk about, she's cleared everything with me and she's now a very, very confident lady, but she was bullied really badly at school, like to the, you know, being, being beaten up and, uh, you know, terrified after school that uh, because she had coloured hair, you know, she had coloured hair and she was different from other people. She couldn't talk to the uh, other girls about Justin Bieber and all that sort of stuff because she was, she wasn't into it. So um, so they, they took a disliking to her, and I don't know whether it translated to America, but there was a terrible case in 2007 here with Sophie Lancaster, um, who was actually beaten to death um, for being a goth. And, uh, and so I took Chelsea on. She was very nervous. She was very, very quiet and very, very sort of worried about herself, and very unconfident. And she said she'd like to write her own song, which interested me straight away, rather than learning an instrument. She said she didn't write or play anything. Um, so I said, okay. I said, I'm going to go and make a cup of tea. <laughs> and I gave her some post-it notes. Do you know what post-it notes are in America? Do you Absolutely. have them? Oh, we do. We live with yeah. them. Yeah. And uh, so I gave her a bunch of post-it notes and a pen. And I said, well, you must be thinking something about what's happened to you. You must, you know, you must have thoughts in your head. I'm going to go and make a cup of tea. And when I come back, I'd like you to have written some thoughts down on, on pieces of paper. And when I got home, when, sorry, when I got back, when I got back to, to the room, this, there was this table that was just covered in post-it notes. And I immediately saw the phrase crashing up. And I said, what's crashing up mean? She said, well, it's, it's not burning out. Not burn, I'm not going to burn out. I'm going to crash up. I'm going to get over this, you know. 
Um, and like I say, she was very timid, had her hood up and what have you and all this. So gradually she came out and she wrote lines like, you know, beauty doesn't come with a kiss. Um, and, and, and I mean that, what I like about what she wrote, she wrote the full set of lyrics and she wrote what I call universal lyrics, because if you listen to them, they're just about getting over a bad time and really like kicking ass instead of going under. I mean, she did try, but unfortunately, when you've got a gang of people beating the shit out of you, it's, um, you know, there's not a lot you can do about it. But um, lyrically, I think she wrote a set of universal lyrics. Clowns hiding behind people just means, you know, people that you put your trust in sometimes, you suddenly find out that they're not who they said they were. And I thought it was pretty insightful for a 15-year-old girl to come out with this. And, and, uh, and particularly, like, the way that we clicked. And, like, I, I was well into my 40s by this point, you know. And um, But that shows what music is, isn't it? Doesn't that show that music basically transcends everything? Yeah. And so uh, if you do decide to if you do decide to buy the single, one of the thing the one of the extras on the download is me and Chelsea's demo where I'm playing all the instruments and she's singing. Um, and so uh, that's pretty good. And Chelsea, I mean, Chelsea's got a decent voice on her now, but she didn't have at the time of recording. So that's why I didn't choose her to sing on the thing. And I did. I, you know, I asked her, would you be OK with me doing this? But I just think um, for me, it's got a little bit of extra gravitas because this girl was in a terrible place and now she isn't. And uh, although she was supposed to do, a, she was supposed to do an interview with a newspaper today, uh, yesterday, and she's gone down with chronic tonsillitis to the point where she can't speak. So, uh, any Kiss FAQers out there, you'll find her on the Facebook page, and you'll see her and stuff. Send her some love, poor poor girl. She can talk for England, and yet she can't actually utter a word at the moment because she's got tonsillitis. But uh, she's a very brave girl, and she inspired me to come up with the, you know, the, the sort of oomph of the track that we, that we did you know well so i just wanted to, i just wanted to put that forward so you know ages wise you got a 15 year old 24 year old etc etc right up to glenn just you know nudging over 60 and uh together we made a bit of a special thing and i hope i haven't bored too many kiss fans of talking about my own thing but uh you know there's clips on the Facebook page, you'll find videos, and there's lots of clips of crashing up, clips of Lifetime and stuff, so you can have another listen to uh, bits of it and what have you and see how we recorded it and all that. So uh, thanks for giving me the time to just explain about the single because uh, it's not just another release. It's not a debut with a band trying to get somewhere. It's not career boost. We're all doing okay. Glenn doesn't need my help. Uh, <laughs> Ed, you know, Ed doesn't need my help, and Amy doesn't need my help. Um, and it was mixed. Again, I wanted to do everything properly. It was mixed by Jim Lowe, who um, is a friend of mine, but he's also a Grammy-nominated um, producer and mix engineer. He's done everything. He's done four number one albums for the Stereophonics, as well as stuff like Taylor Swift and Iron Maiden. Um, and then I took it to be mastered by John Davis, um, because John Davis did the Led Zeppelin remasters with Jimmy Page um, and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, one of the reasons it probably sounds so good in your headphones, Julian, is... Um, you know, I didn't just record it and then quickly finish it. You know, it was done. And even down to the cover painting, like I say, this cover painting is a, is a real painting. And it's, a, it's a, again, it's a Norwich guy called Simon Pritchard. I, I wanted it all to be proper stuff. I wasn't going to give anything to anyone. That's why I don't want PR people over it and stuff like that. And uh, Simon Pritchard is an amazing painter. And one day, when I've got some extra cash... I'm going to get him to. I'm going to commission a, a kiss painting from him because I think I think what he's done, what he's done for us. I don't know whether you can really see the sort of likenesses and stuff, but when you see what the real people look like, 
you know, um, he's pretty spot on, you know, and uh, I love his paintings. And his paintings were in a rehearsal room that I used to use. And so I just made a note that if I ever needed something, that's the guy I was going to have. So I hope people understand that the reason I'm rattling on so much and boring everyone to death is because every step of the way I tried to do this single right for music fans and, you know, record collectors and people who haven't got a record player that want to download it, and people who just want something that's a bit real. Do you know what I mean? It's not another cynical release, you know? No, and and that brings us into kind of a kiss angle on this. That what I, yeah. you know, I've obviously said that it sounds very good as a single, and, and it reminded me of Paul's Live to Win album. But also, the, it's an anthem. It's a very positive yeah. piece of music, like we know from Kiss, some yeah. of their best material is the you know the anthems they don't really necessarily have a direct message you know no. tomorrow and tonight uh, rock and roll all yeah, night etc yeah. etc et detroit rock city big and bombastic and vivid um yeah coming into kind of your your history yeah you know i, I want to put you on the spot and say what is your favorite kiss album you came in in Alive 2, which is celebrating its 40th anniversary this week. Yeah. Um, okay. What is that one album that when you you need something to pick you up and you want to listen to Kiss is the one that you go to more often than not? Well, I, I feel it's such a cliche to say it's alive. It's alive. You know, everyone it's not says a cliche. It, everyone says it. You know, it's a, it's a live one. Um, but if 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 you would if you were to sort of you know ask me for a studio album, I think I'm a bit of a dress to kill man, really. Um, and I think you know some point some people say about the production on it, and I get what they mean and stuff. But if you ever played it really loud, well, that, it makes a that difference. Cha- that changes everything. Usually, it, makes, it does. It makes a difference. I think you know when you've got it on in the background and you you know you I don't know doing the dusting or whatever. Um, you know, maybe it maybe it does feel a little bit, but if you give that some welly and a bit of EQ, it's again it's that dirty rock and roll album, you know. But then again, you know there is there's stuff on Psycho Circus I think's ace. You know, I don't know why people rag on Psycho Circus so much, apart from the fact that they lied to us, which is annoying. You know, that's the thing I'd say to Gene. Did I did I, I, I did I tell you in any of my messages that I missed meeting them all and having a free meet and greet and everything? Uh, a couple of months back no how oh god well like like i say i i, I do a bit I, I i'm a producer as well and i was producing i produced this band called um dax and roxanne from switzerland and i did their debut album and their pr firm are the same pr firm for kiss and uh guns and roses and 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 like uh, you know a hundred other metal bands and what have you and uh the guy that dealt with their PR he said to me he knew I was a Kiss fan and he said uh, do you want to come along to the like do you want to do you want a ticket for the Wembley thing I can get you you know meet and greet and um and the, and the night before he went to the Water Rats club in uh, London where the dives were playing and uh, Paul was there and uh, basically this guy's job was to look after Gene and look after Paul and he asked me if I fancied tagging along and I, t- I couldn't I couldn't do it because I was doing something else that couldn't be changed and I just honestly, I went through hell that night, just knowing, don't knowing. I mean, I've seen them obviously, but that I could have. Oh God, yeah. So yeah, let's not think about that, shall we? Um, but yes, that was the that 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 was a real missed out thing because I, I'd 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 love to have uh, you know had a word with the uh, 
heard, have, have a word with the chaps. It would have been nice, you know. But uh, but there you go. Maybe there'll be another time. You never know. Time's getting short with Kiss, I think, now. Yeah. You know, so. or hear Gene listen to the single. Yeah, exactly. But that's the one thing I'd say to Gene is, is like, you know, I love you, man. But uh, the one thing I'd, I've always found a little bit sort of with Kiss, which is a little bit sort of heartbreaking, is when they sort of bet, when they actually just lie to us. You know, when they say to us about Psycho Circus, it's the new album, it's the four members and stuff. And do they really think that drummers like me are that, are that stupid that we can't hear it? I was, apparently, because I didn't realize. I, I just don't have the air to, to to tell the difference, I guess, between Peter Chris and uh, Kevin Valentine. But, yeah, you know, that, that was one of the things that bothered me for many years with Psycho Circus. And I, I was still living in Scotland when that album was like, no, I was back in America by then. So that album... I, I hated it when I found out that they lied. Initially, I'm like, yeah. oh, this is a good album. This has got some good songs. You know, it's got the anthems. It's got uh, this and that. And then you find out about the lie, and it kind of leaves a bad taste in your mouth to a certain extent. And you're like, oh, mm. oh, no, they they, they, li- they lied to us. This is Kiss. Yeah. And, uh, and we're getting... I mean, there's, 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 there's guitarists throughout America at the moment, and, well, throughout the world, because this obviously goes out everywhere, screaming at the screen now about, you know, I think they'd agree with me. You can hear Ace Freely. You can hear Ace Freely a mile away. You know, it's. Uh, I think it's obvious on the Alive Two cuts which ones he's on and which ones he's not. You know, but I mean, yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe it's just my ears. But I mean, I, I caught it straight away. But I did love. I loved Into the Void. I thought that was a great track. Um, and as songs, I, I I do. I'm sorry. I do like We Are One. I think that's uh, it's, a, it's a decent song. But you know, and the song Psycho Circus is obviously a bit of a you know, it's a cracker as well. But um, but yeah, it's it's um, it, that's the only thing that that Kiss disappointed me slightly was that the uh, the sometimes they try and pull the wool over our eyes, and um, you know I don't think they understand really how much we love the band, you know that uh, that we do we do listen and we do take it all in, and so uh, you know when they do do a switcheroo on a guitarist or something, there's 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 a fair amount of us I think that spot it or hear it, you know. What about the 1980s for you? You know, being in Britain, there was a resurgence in the yeah. in, in the early 83. You know, they come back yeah. out there and they did a good tour of the UK in 83. They came back, they started their tour what, in Brighton in 84. Um, they didn't come back out for Animalize, but then they were out for Donington in 88. So there's a good chunk. And obviously, um, Crazy Nights was most successful yeah. in Britain, un- unfortunately or fortunately, depending on your perspective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But but what did you find about the band in the Unmasked era? Did you stick with them, or was it uh, were you elsewhere musically? No, it, it's, it's, I'm afraid it's a yes and no question. Um, in that, you know, if I were to show you my record collection and go through it and what have you, um, you would see that uh, I continued to buy everything that came out. Um, I continued. I, I, I voted with my wallet, which seems to be some sort of special phrase that's thrown around in Kid Pop, Kiss podcasts at the moment. But I, did, I carried on buying the stuff. I carried on, you know, um, picking it up. But I can't say I particularly enjoyed the, um, for want of a, another cliche, just, you know, the hair metal years, as it were. And it got worse. It got worse, didn't it? I mean, Gene and, and the... Um, <laughs> just dressing up. I mean, I just I can't believe that he didn't stand in front of a mirror and just think this doesn't look good. 
but uh, but it's not about the look, it's about the music. But even so, um, I've never been much of a sort of double-handed... I can do it. I mean, I can play Van Halen and do the hammer-on stuff and what have you, but very rarely do I whip it out of the bag. Um, but... Uh, I don't know. I just it 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 didn't resonate. I, I was just delighted when they reformed. You know, when they reformed, I knew it was at least like the set at least was going to be really very strong on the originals. Um, so uh, although I I hung on in there and I didn't desert them and I did I carried on buying and I carried on picking up magazines and stuff. But I, there was always that sort of disappointment that it wasn't quite how it used to be, sort of thing. But uh, They've got every right. Every band's got every right to do what they want. And if that's what they wanted to do and that's the sort of thing they wanted to follow, then, you know, knock yourself out. And I think I think touring with Bon Jovi <sighs> probably had a lot to do with it. I think they toured with Bon Jovi and they saw that Slippery Went Wet was the biggest album Polygram had had for years. Um, and yeah, where B- biggest, sold- biggest album since Pyromania. Yeah, and it's kind of like nine, nine, ten million and stuff, and they and Polygram was struggling to get Kiss over the million mark, you know, um, and uh, I think Kiss just thought, well, we haven't got the makeup on anymore, so let's have a crack at some good old anthems and things like Crazy Crazy Nights is a feel good song, it's good, you know, I, you know, it's it, it, it's it's not too shabby, but Gene's lyrics went south, you know, I mean seriously went south you know the 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 classic uh log in the fireplace stuff and all that sort of malarkey you know it's just like really can you not can, you couldn't do any that was written on the back of a fag packet do you know what i mean it's <laughs> on the plane on the way back from some 12 hour red eye flight or something you know and because he can do better than that we know he can and uh so i think when paul was left to um steer the ship on his own um I think he did his best, but I think he was he was working with what he'd got, and uh, and and uh, good on him. He kept it going so that it picked up again because obviously you know Revenge was a much better album, even though still you know um, unholy and all that sort of stuff is it still doesn't float my boat as much as a, a loud playing of Ladies Room or I Stole Your Love, you know. But nothing, me, nothing, but nothing ever will, you know. It, it's, Don't get- I love it all, you know, don't get me wrong, I love it all, Carnival of Souls, the lot, you know, um, And uh, but I'm not blind to the fact there's been ups and downs, but I mean, who, who hasn't gone up and down in 40 years, you know, who, uh, madam, um, but you know what I mean, it's, uh, you know, who hasn't had sort of career dips and uh, moments where you just think, really, Are you going to go with this, are you, <laughs> you know, so, uh, and that's the brilliant thing about Kiss is that there's been so many sort of different different things. I mean, I you know I I remember sending you a message about the Elder Book, um, saying how much I'd really enjoyed knowing all about it because to me that was a fascinating album. It wasn't crap. It was fascinating. It wasn't what I particularly wanted to hear at the time. Um, I was a young boy. Um, having a family holiday in Guernsey where I walked into a record shop and I saw this album because I, I didn't read music paper. I wasn't savvy enough to pick up music papers when I was a young lad. I didn't really know that's where the, all the information came. So it, for me, Kiss albums just suddenly arrived. They suddenly popped up. And I remember looking in the window in, in the Channel Islands on holiday with my family, looking in this window and just seeing this brown door with a tiny little Kiss logo um you know on the on the top left hand corner and just thinking oh my god it's a new kiss album but there was no pictures of them on there and all this sort of stuff and so for me it was a real sort of 
it was kind of a positive thing and I was just fascinated what on earth is this you know what is this and uh, when I put it on it was just okay all right okay right okay this is this is weird <laughs> um, and uh, you know but I, I I like it I like it I make no apologies you know the elders all right by, by me the, the, and, uh, you know, the elder is perfectly fine, as is unmasked. And, and you know, yeah. something else about Britain that, you know, I always enjoyed was we had singles. You know, on yeah. Unmasked, you had two brilliant picture sleeves, Talk to Me and uh, What yeah. Makes the World yeah. Go Round. And then on The Elder, obviously, we had, uh, what was it, uh, A World Without Heroes, which is one of my yeah. all-time favorite picture sleeves. And Mr. Black, Mr. Blackwell on the back, on yeah. the back of it. And it and came as a seven-inch picture, uh, picture disc. And then, uh, <laughs> then on uh, what was it, um, Creatures of the Night? You've got the killer yeah. with the the movable tongue sleeve. I mean, so in in a, in a country that never really well, bought was, into I, Kiss, I, I that was I love it loud with the tongue. Mm. Yeah, it was. Um, I think it was killer in in Holland. Creatures. Oh yeah, Creatures of the Night was the one because I love that because I've got the twelve inch with the double groove. Right, the the you know, etched, etched autographs on the back of that one, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's either rock and roll all night live or creatures of the night, depending on where you drop the needle, you know. And uh, yeah, that's uh, it's it. You know, it, it it's you know they they just uh, they just always fascinated me as a band, and you know I love the music. There's so many assets to them, you know. But how how you ever found anything out if you weren't really what was it record mirror NMA sounds you know so Britain had a very good rock press in the seventies uh, yeah there's, there's a ton of Kiss and I, I mean I've got clippings all over the place here from those magazines know. you know everyone thinks that Kerrang well Kerrang didn't come around until eighty two um, yeah you know and then it was the primary source throughout the eighties so you know there was a vibrant press that was covering Kiss through the seventies through the eighties but yet they never well, really you. caught on until Crazy Nights. Um, I've got I've got three of these and they're just box files and they're absolutely they're all full of yep. Metal Hammer, Sounds magazines, all that sort of stuff, British stuff i was one of these kids that would just take scissors to my magazines i'm sure that that uh, if mark Cicchini sees this he'll be <laughs> he'll be crying into his into his uh meatloaf yeah he'll be uh he's uh you know but but i mean but i did cut up the magazines you know i mean if it was a special then i'd keep the whole thing but, but if it was just you know i've got I've, I've got the tiny little bits that say they're playing wembley on a certain date and what have you i was really sort of keen so i've got three box files absolutely full of um kiss clippings and um and the, and the full magazines i i keep in a place over there where i i, I keep them all, all stacked and stuff with all along with all the kiss books um and what have you and the only kiss books i think i haven't got are um well obviously the monster book that's ridiculous um that that was a jump the shark moment if you ask me no offense to kiss yeah. or anything but i, I just I, think I, I don't think anyone's gonna disagree with uh no that other i mean than even, the, the, vault, even the vault the vault has got a much more sort of gravitas to it than that i think the vault's a, a fine idea if you can afford it afford it i mean i can't so i won't be going to london to pick one up um but i don't begrudge anyone who's, who's got the cash for one if you've got it have it you know, uh, and if you're really, really well off, fine. Have him round your house for two hours, you know. Um, but, uh, yeah, the monster book was, was too much uh, for me, really. But uh, I do love uh, I, I, I do love the Kiss books. I think, uh, you know, all the autobiographies are uh, interesting. 
<laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah, the, you and, know, and, they're and, about what you expect from each of those characters. Hey, before we go any further on this, I do want to play the B side to your single um, and, and talk a little bit more about that. This is. Uh, well, uh, like I said, the B-side to the Crashing Up single, and the title is Lifetime. And you know what? I think I'm kind of favoring this one a little bit at the moment. Yeah, but you know what? A lot of people is, and I, I, I think if you actually had a copy of the single, you'll notice it's actually a double A-side, and this is the AA-side. Ah, so, Mr. So, uh, I, know, I, will, I will be ordering a copy of this, so let's play a little bit of Lifetime for everyone to hear. So that's, yeah. uh, that is some of the B-side, and you know what, I was a little nervous at the beginning of that with the keys being quite prominent, yeah. but it dropped straight well, they back are down. Keys. They, they, are, they are keys with a distortion on them. <laughs> they, they go right back down into the mix where they belong, to my taste, yeah. and the guitars oh, yeah, yeah. come through with a good crunch. And again, uh, you know, I, I said it when I, we were talking about the, A's, the A, A1 side, whatever you want to call it, the, the first yeah, part yeah, of the yeah. A-side. Um, you know, again, very punk popish, very yeah. very hook oriented. Again, there, there's this song I think has the edge for my personal taste because it's for a lot of people too, it's weird. It's a lot of I've had a lot of messages saying you know that that lifetime means, and I think um, I, I don't want to sort of insult you in any way, Julian, but it's definitely the older people like lifetime and the and and the younger people honestly when i get the sort of younger people sending messages crashing up's the one for them right we were, so t- think- we were talking earlier when i was saying about the guitar sound in the pistols pretty vacant there's a nice yeah. crunch coming through on your guitar on that yeah on that song in particular that you know it's it's a sound that i just happen to like so it, it it's like yeah. hook hook in mouth right here yeah, yeah, fantastic. I mean, Lifetime is, um, I, I didn't co-write that one with Chelsea, That's just, it's just written by me, and um, and it is uh, like the opening line, um, the opening line, where were you when I was gorgeous, um, it's basically, it's just like, you know, because I'm sure we all think the same, and it's like, you know, when I was 20, I was really good, I looked really good <laughs> when I was 20 and into my 30s and stuff. And there was a point in time where I had a girlfriend that was 10 years younger than me. And I remember looking at her one day, looking fantastic. And I just thought, where were you when I could match you? Um, and that sort of started me thinking about just the fact that time time does run out. And um, and the chorus about, you know, waited a lifetime to be somebody. It didn't mean, like, be famous or anything like that or be. It just, 
we all hope that we're going to turn into a person that we're proud of, you know, that we're proud to be the person we are, you know, and I, I, I do try, but, you know, we all fail and we succeed and we fail and we succeed. And uh, so um, whereas crashing up is Chelsea's sort of, right, fuck you, I'm going to get through this type sort of thing. Mine's very much a bit more sort of melancholic type, sort of looking looking back on things, but also thinking... I mean, at the age of my, I am now, there's absolutely no possible way that I'm going to live as long as I have already. I, you know, I'm I'm past the halfway mark, for absolutely, definitely, for sure. You know, um, and so you've just got to make it count. And so it's, it is a positive song, you know. But it's uh, again, you know, the last line of the chorus is I've refused to turn the lights out on myself because something's happening to me, and that's because there's always something else. There's something new, you know. There's always something new to, to, to head towards. So um, it's it's a positive, miserable song. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which takes you straight back to the early 80s. And the music yeah. that comes out of the, the original punk movement of The Clash, yeah. Buzzcocks, the, obviously The Pistols, um, Sham, kind of transforms into what was called the positive punk movement, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 And, and that's where I'm kind of coming from. You, you have uh, the Southern Death Cult which yeah. jumps out again some of the messages some of the kind of imagery i was i was immediately thinking are you a bit old to be writing a song like that because that's a very youthful song that's a, that's a very again the hope yeah i don't yeah, get, yeah. i don't get the melancholy i i i get the regret but i also get the hopefulness yeah. that you know that it's not uh we didn't go into the smith's territory or uh, no. you know maybe a, a little bit and i i, I know you've uh, had a little bit of uh, interaction on the cure side of things but we didn't yeah, get we don't go into that, that realm well i think that does i think that does have something to do with it because when i was 14 um i, I met lols holhurst from the cure and uh and we we became sort of for want of a better phrase pen pals i suppose because he was always on tour and stuff but i used to go and sort of you know when I, when I got a bit older, I'd, I'd, I'd sort of meet him and meet up with him in London. We sort of be, just became mates, really. <clears throat> and there was a period of time where I would go and visit. And um, if somebody was missing at rehearsal, I would stand in. And so, you know, I have I have actually played, you know, a few sets through with uh, various members of The Cure. Um, but but uh, never everyone at the same time. It was a weird period of time for them, you know, as there was always somebody missing, you know. But uh, luckily, because I played multiple instruments you know sometimes I'd get, I'd get on the drums and and sometimes something else um but I was never I, obviously I, I must make it clear I was never a member and never you know I was I was never an actual sort of official anything I was just a friend of lols really you know but watching them at work and watching them sort of watching a really very famous band acted like normal bands made me realize that it was doable you know, because we'd, we'd go to the rehearsals and then we'd just go down the pub afterwards, everyone, you know, and then go for a curry or something. And, uh, you know, it's just normal stuff, you know. Um, and that's what I've loved about my, my sort of life as a musician is that um, I always say to people that it's um, it's a champagne lifestyle on a lemonade income. <laughs> um, and it and it is because, honestly, I you know, if you play like festivals to sort of thousands of people or whatever you get treated like some sort of lord you know the the only thing they don't do is carry you onto the stage you know what i mean i remember a festival in the czech republic where we had a caravan each like a mobile home each as a dressing room and uh you know full of food and all that sort of stuff and you know and that sort of thing and you but then you get back home and you realize that yeah you've paid the mortgage and bills for about 
a couple of months, you know, but you need to get on with something else now, you know, and uh, I still live in a fairly, you know, modest house in Norwich, you know, I love it because it's mine, but um, yeah, it's, it's not, I'm certainly not sort of, you know, bathing in sort of, you know, ass's milk and, uh, and uh, you know, I, I'm not having sort of my reviews read to me by, uh, you know, scarlet-lipped maidens. Uh, while I lounge about on my sofa, you know that's that's not the case. You know, I'm no, just. No, but uh, you're making music, and exactly in exactly. some ways. And obviously, if you watch our show, you know that Marcus Almighty yeah. is doing the same sort of thing that you're doing right now. That yeah. you you've put a band together and put a single out, and that's what we're talking about. And we talk about Mark's you know music nearly every episode and his adventure yeah, yeah. of bringing it to the masses. I played him these singles uh, both sides last yeah. night you know uh, to throw them by another musician uh, yeah. whose, whose opinion you know i respect as well and he had a very positive reaction to them as well which you know oh, I, almost, well. I almost should have had him on the show to talk music but you know, I, I was kind of afraid he might start talking well, shop glad, and uh i'm glad about that because he he's he's a bit more of a metaler isn't he he's a real sort of you oh know. No, no he he's more proggy i mean you mentioned king crimson earlier and yeah you know he does a yes podcast he talks king crimson uh, yeah, yeah. He, he's very technical on the production side um and yes he's done some heavier stuff uh without yeah. a doubt but judging from where his new album is at you know musically it, again a very kind of hook oriented melody melodic uh yeah, for, yeah. for want of a better term just similar in in essence to what you're doing where yours is hook poppy um, I, I don't want to say poppy. That just has kind yeah, of, that, I mean, it's, it's like the like, wrong. It's, it's like Bieber, and it, it's not. It's it's not. Ha it's, like it's not overly happy or syrupy. No, it's it's like heavy cheap trick or something, isn't it? You know, it's more that sort of thing. You know, I, I think it's uh, it's it's definitely. I want it to be catchy, and I want it to be sort of. You know, I want it to be stuck in people's heads. But I also want an enormous guitar sound and the drums to sound massive. And I think you know that's the good thing about me producing it and being sort of, you know, the, the captain of the ship, if you like, on this one. You know, because I, I knew what I wanted it to be like, and I, I have to say, it's come out exactly how I wanted wanted it to be. You know, which is great because you know when you're doing stuff for other people. There's always, you know, a little something. I mean, I, I think, again, in one of our exchanges, I was saying last year I was playing on an album um, that was produced by Tony Visconti, which is obviously Bowie's producer or Mark Boland's or Thin Lizzy's, depending on what your uh, standpoint is. Um, but I remember sitting in the booth with my headphones on, with my guitar around my neck and asking Tony for, like, directions. How do you want me to play this and what have you? And, and you know, you get that lovely, soft American voice of his, you know, OK, Dave. Okay, well, uh, I want you to do sort of like John Lennon rhythm guitar, Dave. John Lennon rhythm guitar, which is he's brilliant at instructions because I knew what he meant was just this, mm -hmm. you know, for this rhythm track. That's John Lennon rhythm guitar. What a brilliant instruction! And um, and like I, uh, you know, I was saying to someone quite recently that I never take it for granted. I'm always excited, and I'm always, you know, I'm always wide out about this. And I'm sure Marcus is the same when he got his vinyls for his album. I bet he just had a real, real excitable shake to him you know he's uh because and, and whenever i get to do something that's really cool like that whether it's tony visconti or or whatever it is and like you said about you, you know you pick up your guitar and play pretty vacant how do you think it feels for me when i'm playing some festival somewhere and we're halfway through pretty vacant i'm on the drums i'll grant you but i've had a couple of times where i've suddenly realized that the bloke who wrote it 
is three feet in front of me. You know, and that's not to sort of, you know, idolise Glenn or anything. I mean, we've been friends for like 15 years now. So he's, he's, you know, I think of him normally as a normal bloke. But he did write 10 of those 12 tracks on that album, you know, or co-write them, you know. Um, and Pretty Vacant is all his, actually, lyrics as well. I don't know whether you knew that, but uh, they, they, he did. That's a, that's a song he pretty much took to the band, finished, you know. Well, and uh, You know, yeah. th- there's two Pistol songs that are, are my two and pretty vacant and bodies those, those are my oh, yeah. those are my um i can never hear those too much I, I i want to segue a little bit and we're talking about the power of a single and in my yeah. musical life there's a single um that ties into what you were just talking about and you might know what it is just when i hold it up oh yes very nice. Back in Liverpool, this this came out of Liverpool in 1987, yeah. December. Yeah, yeah. And I I was out there, and I had just started getting into punk, and yeah. kind of discovering the Pistols, and I was going through record stores, and if ever packaging did not help a single, then <laughs> this helped me discover a whole different side of yeah. what emerged out of kind of punk and that is yeah. of course uh, the rich kids uh yeah. debut single which to me really kind of validated that you could be punk without being aggressive rude um pistols yeah, yeah. but you could have power pop hooks which is what ties in nicely to your mm. single again yeah. very very yeah. similar that they're they're powerful music it's got all it's edgy it's hooky and exquisitely crafted so that was my real introduction to glenn more than the pistols which obviously i knew all the writing was you know he was on the credits but to see him working with midge and uh who else was in the band steve new i think and uh can't remember uh, the other ones egan yeah, Rusty Egan, Rusty Egan and Steve New, yeah. And and I have to say that uh, I was so excited about when they they did the reunion. I said to Glenn, "Do you want me to crew it?" You know, I so I was the uh, I, w- I was the guitar tech and drum tech and uh, uh because unfortunately the first Rich Kids reunion was it was really a fundraiser to raise money for Steve New because he had to, he had cancer at the time right, and yeah. he's no he's no longer with us sadly but uh, uh, you know and also I think it was a chance for Steve to just go out with his mates one last time as well and he played amazingly considering how unwell he was um, but I definitely I, I just offered my services you know um, straight away and I said to you but again to stand at the side of the stage and watch that it was amazing and uh, like I said I don't want to keep playing. well for a start there's my access all areas pass in there um wouldn't be much good without that but on the front it's signed by the entire band oh my goodness but on the back it's signed by all the uh supporting artists that were there so it's signed by uh viv albertine maggie ronson uh mick jones yeah, I mean, the, 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 it just Tony James from Generation X. It just it goes on and on and on. Tracy Hunter, um, Ian Hunter's daughter, and uh, yeah, it's just basically that copy is is signed by everyone who was there that night, and it was like a who's who. So, uh, and but if you're into the rich kids, just to sort of segue and stuff, obviously you know that the the album cover throughout the world looks like this. That's right. Right. 
and that album for anyone who doesn't know that album is the only album that the rich kids put out it's uh ghost of princes and yeah. towers uh, has yeah. been reissued by cherry lane cherry cherry yeah. whatever records cherry uh, with, with all the bonus track all the b-sides that are on the singles and there, there yeah. were three singles and three b-sides which are just yeah. brilliant to have all in one package and I have to say, I, I, you know, like I say, I, I, in a way, I hope Glenn doesn't see this because he'll think, oh, Dave, shut up, shut up. But I've always thought that Ghosts of Princes and Towers is the number one that never was. You know, it's it's a sensational song, Ghosts of Princes and Towers, the actual the track it's, itself. It's, it's it's very good. I'm, uh, I'm I'm a little bit more partial to some of the other stuff on the album, but it's very, you know, it's an underrated yeah. album. It just got lost Absolutely. completely. And lost. I, I've, I've still done a, I've still done quite a lot of work with Midge since, you know, um, I, I, I with with Ultravox and stuff like that. But anyway, what I was saying was that's the cover that you know and what have you. Have you ever seen the the one off different one from Sweden? No, that I love to see. This is very rare indeed. Oh wow, bound shot. Okay. Yeah. And Glenn did tell me what castle it was at. It's at some sort of castle, and I'd forgotten, unfortunately. So uh, I'm, I can't give you the full skinny on that. But uh, no, he, he did tell me that. Um, he did. He did tell me where that was. And the thing is, you know, I, I, I did a. I did a writing. Um, I did a, a track with Rusty Egan last year, as well. For, and. Um, so I mean, I've again, I feel very, very privileged. Whether it's you know working with people like like Glenn or, um, I mean, I you know I was in a band, I was in a band called Atlantic Machine three years ago, which was Phil, uh, which was uh, Jim Lowe from uh, who's the producer for the Stereophonics who who mixed my single, and he got me to play drums on on his little project that he had, and we did a festival somewhere. And at this point, I'd got, I'd already started to get to know Earl Slick, you know, Earl Slick, mm-hmm. the, the guitar player. And, um, and again, it's one of those moments where we were halfway through this encore where Earl Slick had decided to come on and just join us for the last song. And it's like when I watched the video of that back, which I must put on YouTube because it's my camera. It's, you know, my girlfriend filmed it. So, I mean, I can put it on YouTube. But I just suddenly thought, to me, I got halfway through the track and suddenly thought, that guy was John Lennon's last guitarist. You know, that's amazing. He was in his hotel room when Lennon got shot, you know, and um, he was all the Bowie stuff from like, well, not all the Bowie stuff, but from Diamond Dogs right up to the very last album, he'd been in and out of Bowie's bands and stuff. And yet he's just a decent guy. He's a very rock and roll guy. He's he's one of the coolest, you know, older blokes you'll ever meet. Um and and comes 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 with very few airs and graces, you know. He's uh, he's a good guy, but I I never I never tire of those moments where I just like I say don't think for a minute just because I'm. It's very difficult sometimes when you're telling stories to not sound like you're name dropping all the time. But I I've been really lucky, you know. And so all I'm doing is telling stories, and I've got to tell you who they're about. So, <laughs> you know. I, I want to touch on a couple of the bands that you have worked on uh, or worked with. Uh, let's start with the Sex Pistols experience. You know that was oh, <laughs> uh, you in the role of Steve Jones, I believe. I was. It was amazing. It took me around the world four times. And you you, you you came to the U.S. with that act, didn't you? And you played Three for times, yeah. you played for uh, what upwards of twenty thousand fans yeah. I, I mean yeah. come on the pistols haven't toured in a few years so uh and who knows if they ever will again but you know tell us about that and how how you came to be involved in essentially a sex pistols tribute act well it's 
it's just one of those things where you just there's there's a side of people there's a side of a lot of people that really think that tribute bands are the least cool thing in the world and stuff so i'm always just sort of wary of saying but that this band were amazing i mean if you look at any of the footage of them um after 2006 because they when i first joined they had a different singer bless him um but the guy that they got six months nine months after i joined a guy called nathan is just it's weird i mean keith levine from public image limited did some gigs with us and he he did some guest spots with us you know where we got him on and it freaked him out it really freaked him out because this guy is is totally on it and uh, like you say i mean what can i tell you it took me around the world four times like we did massive gigs in brazil um and i think it's and i think i think it's I, i remember i think that was one of my moments where i remember sitting on copacabana beach on the white sand beach one afternoon when we were playing rio and we had a we either had a day off or it was the afternoon before the gig but i just remember sitting there um looking out at the sea with the big jesus fella behind me and what have you and i had this moment where i just thought to myself i'm actually getting paid for this you know and um and it was it was great. And we did what I liked about it was we would try and play all the places that we could that the Pistols played. So we did play the Hundred Club a lot. And uh, but when we came to America, um, we obviously Winterland, as you know, is an apartment gone. building now. Um, but we did play um, oh, not Tulsa. What's the uh, da, 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 da. I know one that we did, which I'll tell you about in a minute because it was brilliant. Um, what was the first one we did? Oh, there's one off the American tour that I can't remember which one it is. But we did play. We we did do Longhorn Ballroom in Dallas. Did you? Holy shit! Yeah. And the great thing is, the guy that owned it in '78 is this guy that owns it now. And uh, and he was telling us about that night. And obviously, some of the audience were coming up to us afterwards and and saying you know we were here first time round and I think the best compliment the band got because um, I left in I left in 2010 but they're still going they're still going and and if if you if you get a chance to see the Sex Pistols experience I mean the guitarist they've got I think is probably physically a bit of a better Steve Jones than me he's a bit chunkier um, and so he's uh, got got that. I, I always looked like a bit of a greased whippet um, in leather trousers and a string vest with a hanky on my head. Um, but uh, they, they're still going and they're still amazing. But the best compliment I got was from a guy called John Tiberi. Now, um, Pistols fans will know exactly who he is. He was also known as Boogie. And he was their sound man. Um, he was their sound man for the American tour and before then too as well. Um, Dave Goodman was the original sound man, but John Tiberi was uh, was that guy, and he was also in charge of trying to look after Sid and stop him running off and all this sort of stuff. So, and he came to see us, and he took me aside at the end of it, and he said that was like being in a time machine, you know. And uh, and there was another, there was a lady there um called sue who used to be called sue catwoman and she's in all the punk photographs and all that sort of stuff she was actually in tears because it just it was in the hundred club you see and it was it was with the lights down with the lights down and us playing and you know you're behind a bunch of people she it, it was too much for her you know it just took her back so far and but for the sound man to say that i'd nailed the guitar sound i was well happy with that um so although tribute bands aren't the coolest thing in the world maybe um the thing is when you get a a really good one when you get a real good one like the sex pistols experience who are still still doing very well 
um, throughout Europe and in this country. Um, I don't think they've been back to America for a while, um, and not certainly not since I left. But, um, you know, I'd, I'd still, they're worth the ticket price, honestly, if you just want to, you know, if you just want to just go and try and just see what it felt like, you know, or hear what it felt like, see what it felt like. And like I say, the singer, Nathan, is... Um, it's, it's just it used to freak me out even you know and uh he also he he got asked to do something with jar wobble him and keith keith levine and jar wobble did a little thing and uh jar wobble from pill and i think keith sold it to jar wobble by saying no you've got to see this guy you've got to see this bloke you know and uh and i think it's just because nathan's basically a good actor he's got the voice perfect but he's also a very good actor and he used to study the winterland uh gigs and what have you and uh and the funny thing is that I'd, I'd already met Glenn by this point. I'd, I'd done a bit of guitar for Glenn in a, a couple in a few rehearsals in 2002, and I joined the Pistols Experience in 2006. And when I, whenever I'd meet Glenn, he'd say, uh, "Are you still in that? Still in that band, are you?" And I'd go, "Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yeah, it's all right. It's going well." And I always got the idea that Glenn might be more interested in me doing some stuff with him. Maybe I don't know. Maybe I got it right. I don't know. But I often thought, and so. When I when I decided that I'd had enough, that I that you know I'd, I'd done enough there, which was after four years of just continual touring and continual travel, um, I actually texted Glenn because um, Glenn had actually texted me and asked if I was going to go to Reading Festival or something, and uh, I said, uh, yeah, I am going. I'm going to be there, and um, and I added, I said, by the way, I've left the um, I've left the Pistols experience and I said I've done I've done my best sort of thing and what have you and it was re- it was really really soon after that that Glenn asked if I could help him with some of his stuff so you know maybe that was the maybe that was the right decision because working with Glenn led to a lot of the Bowie stuff and led to a lot of you know the, the exciting things that I wouldn't have met Viv Albertine if it wasn't for Glenn I, and I worked with her for four years uh, from the slits you know and uh, I wouldn't have met the Bowie Bunch and I wouldn't have done Iggy Fest, which was basically me, Andy Anderson from The Cure, Kevin Armstrong, who's Iggy's guitarist, doing the whole of the Blah 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 album. And I was on bass for a few numbers of that um, with Erdl Kizilke as well. He wrote um, Erdl Kizilke is an amazing. I ended up in the Erdl Kizilke band at one point and he um, he co-wrote with Bowie When the Wind Blows and um there are tons of Buddha of Suburbia stuff like that, you know, and uh he's an amazing musician. So I mean, like I say, I, I I'm still pretty wide eyed about everything, you know, but I can't believe when I think about it, when it when it comes out of my mouth and I say it, I think I actually did do that, didn't I? And thank God we've got YouTube and videos and stuff for me to actually prove it to myself, you know. But uh yeah, I've got a lot to to thank Glenn for because uh, a lot of things obviously led to other things. Once people had seen me drumming for the Philistines, you know. So you were you were on drums with the Philistines. Uh, yeah. Tell us about some of the work that you've done with Glenn. Um, studio, just live, you know. What what I, I said, what does that work embody? Well, you know what. One of the reasons why. Well, there's loads of reasons, but another one of the reasons why I wanted Glenn on my single is that um, I joined the the drummer before me was Javier Whaler from the Stereophonics, and. Uh, and and basically the stereophonics kept well quite rightly kept nicking him you know kept pinching him or you know and uh, and there were various bits and pieces he couldn't do and there was a uh, there was a tour of Canada which I, I can't remember why he couldn't do the 
tour of Canada. I don't think it was the phonics that time. I think it was something else. But Glenn said, could you do it? You know, and I said, yeah, I can do that. And when we came back from Canada, I think I think Javier did a couple of gigs and then just decided that having to balance the stereophonics with the Philistines was was uh, was too much, you know, and um, and I became the drummer, as it were, you know, and um yeah, I, I mean, we, we, we just carried on um, through that. Sorry, what was your original question? I forgot I've gone off on a tangent there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you, and you're asking me to remember. Uh, I, I, I'm asking more about working with Glenn in the studio. Oh, the studio. Sorry, the studio, that's you know, it. So what have you done with him, basically, in yeah. you know, the Philistine side of things? Yeah, basically. Sorry, the what I was getting to was the fact that that Canadian tour was the, the, it was, was the um, Born Running tour, and the album Born Running, um, had just come out, and um, and you know, and it, it just saddened me that in all these years, six years since then, we never went in the studio and recorded something after that because it, it was a brand new album, you know, um, and uh, the stuff that Glenn's done in the studio since then, whether it's been with Zach Starkey or whether it's been with Earl Slick and Slim Jim Phantom or whether it's been Glenn's solo stuff and what have you, we've never gone in as the you know, we just didn't, I didn't get to play on anything that's on record. And so another reason why I wanted Glenn on my single was the fact that, you know, even though I wasn't drumming and him playing, you know, rhythm guitar, which is what it was, that's, that was the dynamic in the Philistines. Um, it was, you know, me on guitar, him on bass, uh, and Ed on drums and, and with Amy at the front. And that, that, that was good enough for me. But yeah, I have to say one of my, sort of sadness is is that uh, because the philistines are actually a, a, a favorite band of mine you know before i joined and 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 to this day i love all i love glenn's solo stuff and um and philistines albums and um like the on something album i'd, I'd anyone wants to check out a glenn matlock solo album i would say or so glenn matlock and the philistines i'd go for on something which is uh fantastic record and um but no we we never we never did we've still to this day i've not gone in the studio with glenn except for recording this single um and it was just gigging basically throughout europe you know we did a lot in europe poland norway sweden um and uh and plenty of british things and stuff and it was all very stop start because glenn's obviously glenn one of the great things about Glenn is he's always doing something different. I mean, don't forget. Let's not forget he got pinched by the by the faces to be the bassist in the faces for the reunion, and he's the obvious choice because you know maybe punk rockers don't realise that his bands that he loved were the faces, the small faces, and the Who, and uh, you know as well as uh, you know sort of songwritery people and stuff. I mean that's what Glenn is. He's a songwriter, I think, and an amazing sort of finger bass player. Um, I mean, if, pe- if people don't know Glenn's Matlock and where and, and where he's coming from musically, one of the first rock autobiographies I ever owned, I think it was yeah. the first, was I Was a Teenage Sex Pistol. Still have the yeah, hardcover. Yeah. I can see mine from here. Yeah, yeah. you know, I, I, I don't have the dust jacket for mine anymore, but it's just the, it's the original first printing. And yeah. you know, that really tells you where he comes from musically. And that's where I gained a lot more kind of respect for, you know, the bands, be it Glenn Matlock or later from on the American side, the Ramones, who are yeah. very well versed in the R&B side. It opened up new doors for me musically. I mean, obviously, I, I, I flashed the single and that got me mm. looking into the small faces, which, yeah. you know, full circle come around to Glenn on the reunion yeah. you know, of the faces. You know, it, it makes sense in a bigger picture. And some of the things that, you know, John Johnny said about Glenn, you know, pop oh. and, and all that, you know. But 
Glenn was very well versed on that side of yeah. music and being able to hold down a band, whereas Sydney couldn't hold the bass the right way around. Yeah. You know, there, there was, yeah. that was image over substance versus substance over possibly image being the big yeah. difference there. So, I mean, Sid Sid managed to uh, Sid managed to do the sort of root note playing. You know, the ding 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 ding. ding. You know, he 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 had that down, but until until the drugs came along you know and and that's that's when when you look at that winterland gig you know that's that's a guy off his face and that's why it sounds so horrendous but when you if you listen to the early you know i've i've been told by people who knew him like you know viv albertine you know shared a flat with him for a long time i've met a lot of people at new Sid, and apparently when he when he first joined the band he, he tried really hard he, he, he was trying he really hard. tried you know, you know? Th- there's no doubt about that and it's not to denigrate him obviously he's grown greater than maybe yeah. he ought to in terms of where he was coming from musically but in terms yeah. of where he was uh, as as an icon or yeah. you know a, a poster boy for the movement you know yeah. he, he's much greater than he was and that winterland gig i mean regardless of it yeah. being a bloody train wreck it, yeah. it's a wonderful train wreck i can, amazing, I, can I can watch it endlessly and the sound checks been put up on uh, youtube and i, I was clicking yeah. like on that because yeah. it, it's just you know an incredible moment in music history it's a band falling to bits isn't it yeah and live and in it, technicolor so yeah but the thing is with Glenn is like if you listen to the Glenn version, the demo sort of of No Feelings, for instance, where Glenn's doing all these brilliant runs and all this sort of stuff, and then you hear the version on Nevermind the Bollocks, which is obviously done by Steve Jones. It's all Steve. Um, and uh, he was just matching the root. He was matching the chords with the root notes. You know, I mean, he did a fantastic job. Um, I mean, obviously Glenn's still on Anarchy on Nevermind the Bollocks, and Glenn's on the B sides of the singles and stuff. But uh, I, I believe the, the well, I know the rest is all Steve Jones. Um, so Sid wasn't Sid wasn't on Nevermind the Bollocks uh, at all, and uh, they've released in the box set actually. They've released where they did try and get Sid to do a few things, and I think there's a version of Bodies and a version of God Save the Queen. I think where it is Sid on bass, and um, y- y- you know you can hear it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty obvious that you know Sidney versus uh, versus uh, Steve versus Glenn. There's a big yeah. difference in those bass lines. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, Glenn's just got a great sort of groove to his playing, but he's really it's a it's a aggressive groove, really. I mean, you know, I don't know how he'd describe his style, you know, he probably wouldn't want to. Um, but uh I just think he's one of my favourite bass players, which is again, it's what I've to be honest, I've had a couple of people sort of um raise an eyebrow and and say, Well, Dave, this is an all star single except you <laughs> and uh, but that's not what it was about. That's not what it's about. It's not about Amy being on the cover of magazines. It's not about Glenn being in the Pistols or Ed being in the Darkness. And and you know Ed's got his five times platinum award on the on the on the wall. And you know he lives about a minute from where we are now, from where from my house. Um, but you know he's got his MTV awards. He's got three Brit awards and all that sort of stuff. None of that, I promise, with my hand on my heart, none of that was important to me when I put this single together. You know, I knew I knew it probably helped shift a few, maybe, but I, I didn't care really. You know, I didn't care whether you know whether it uh, whether that was why people would buy it. I wanted it to be good. You know, I wanted it to be good, and for that, I wanted my favourite drummer because I, I think Ed, even though me and Ed have been friends, and so I remember going to see the Darkness at one of their early gigs and just thinking, this is amazing, this is great fun, brilliant riffs, and Justin's hysterical, but he's really good, and you know. 
they they were just a fantastic band and i remember just thinking wow and when when Ed came to see me play with Glenn in Brixton, he, he came to a gig in Brixton of mine, and, when, and it's the first time he'd seen me, you know, with, with Glenn, and afterwards Ed came up to me and he went, you're much better than me, you're a much better drummer than me, and it's not true, we're different, you know, Ed is way more solid and tasteful than me, I might be able to do a few more fancy fills, you know, but, but Ed Graham's drumming style is just like being punched against a wall, and uh you know you add Ed Glenn's bass playing into that equation so you know bef- I, I hope people don't think to themselves oh well you've just crowbarred some of your famous mates onto here because I could have done that in a much bigger way really I'm sure if I'd have sort of you know um pushed a few people that are you know sort of I don't know I mean I suppose they're famous enough but I mean that, like I say it really wasn't about that it was creating you know how Kiss always used to say we wanted the band to we wanted to see we wanted to be the band that we never got to see on stage. Mm-hmm. I in in the studio I wanted to create a band that couldn't possibly happen because there's no way we can play live not with our schedules or schedules I can't remember which one the American is but schedule schedule but it's one of those but with our with our diaries you know they're never going to coincide you know um but I'll always, you know, I will, I'll always play drums for Glenn if he needs me. I'm doing some, st- I will do some more stuff with Amy and I'll, and uh, me and Ed are, you know, like I say, we live around the corner from each other and we've been friends for a long time. So um, I'm sure I'll sort of lend guitar or bass or whatever to, uh, to, uh, to, to, to Ed if he needs me and stuff. But the Venus Reaction is a debut farewell single. It's, um, it won't happen again. And it's, and the clear vinyl version and stuff, it will be gone and uh like i say it's not a hard sell don't buy it if you don't want it <laughs> but um you know it's just like don't 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 be upset if it's um if it's gone so you know get on to uh i'll do it again www.burningshed.com or www.themerchdesk.com if if you want one if you want one and like i say it's it's a seven inch single but it has got a download card there's photographs and there's a biog and there's lyrics to both singles and there's both both the tracks obviously on mp3 good quality mp3 as well mastered by john davis and um and also you get me and chelsea's version which um i did have it re i had to have it remastered because obviously we we never thought at the time me and chelsea were recording it that we were actually going to release it you know to the public um so it's, it's pretty rough but it's it's good you know it's still um it, it's still got the bite of it but it is um you know it's that girl singing her song and it's me playing drums, bass, and guitar, you know. So I've got two more questions before we wrap up here. And uh, one, let's, up, Julie, I'm enjoying this. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's uh, getting what is it, one a.m. for you? So, um, yeah. it's early. Obviously, there's a final question that I always ask Kiss-related uh, folk, and that is the flavor of Kool-Aid that you drink. Who is that one person in the band? who you kind of say that's my guy that guy represents kiss or that guy represents the musicality that i appreciate the most in kiss who is your guy and why it's ace it's ace um because but all of them i mean all of them have um you know their their merit paul stanley i just think is 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 an amazing front man and his uh, when it comes to his solo album and stuff i think you know that it doesn't get any better than wouldn't wouldn't you like to know me you know, um, so I think songwriting wise, he's absolutely spot on. But there's there's something about that laid back, dirty Les Paul, the way the way Ace used to just stumble around the stage, you know, and still hitting everything on. And 
I just that was the one for me. I just I just thought you know that guy's the cool one. But I love Peter Chris because I could play you know like I say when I was a young drummer, I could play Peter Chris stuff. You know his fills were good, but they weren't out of my reach. Um, Gene, when I was younger, Gene was great because he was the demon and he was just sort of you know. But I hadn't discovered bass playing really then, so that wasn't a thing. But uh, um, and and Gene in recent times again, like I say, I don't. Oh God, you have to be so careful with Kiss fans, don't you? But um, don't that the uh, he's. Do you know what I tell you? There's a similarity. I think there's. I've, I've said this before. Um, there is a similarity between Gene and Johnny Rotten, in that I've I've been in a room with Johnny Rotten countless times, and I've never fancied going over to say hello because I just know he can he can just depending on what side of the bed he got out of he'll take your head off or he'll be really nice to you and stuff and and gene gene has become a little bit like that sort of weird uncle that comes to a family gathering and you're really pleased he came and you tolerate him because he was nice to you when you were young but if you'd, you'd really rather he didn't speak and say anything <laughs> you know because because but i mean you know the man's a genius you know um they're they all are i mean they you know collectively and individually they've got all their strengths and stuff and gene i have a great respect for and stuff but some of the stuff that comes out of his mouth i just cringe and i just think just stop talking now you're ahead yeah. stop it just you know now uh, now's the time to unroll the tongue and shut up so. yeah yeah because he is because he is cool you know he's cool i know he lost his he lost his way in the 80s but you know um, i personally love runaway and dead or alive i thought they're great films <laughs> oh, they're, they're complete rubbish i don't watch i haven't watched them since the 80s so um you, you've already told me your your favorite album which obviously I, I i think is a bit of a cop-out with alive but i say it myself i'm going to put you on the spot one song this is your desert island single and you're not allowed a B-side. One song, uh, one Kiss song that you're allowed to take with you to the island. I think it would be "I Stole Your Love." Just really? Because the, yeah, I, I love the opening to it, the riff when it comes in. I just love the way it hammers along, um, and uh, and and just. But it could be because of the first few songs I ever heard when that neighbour of mine played me "Alive Too." You know, "I Stole Your Love." was 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 one of them you know um am i right in thinking it's on side one yeah I th- that's gonna I, actually I, I, lo- I lose track we did the show on alive yeah. two today and uh, how they switched up the set list in the middle of the uh yeah. the uh love gun tour so I, I i have no bloody clue at this point but yeah, I, yeah. I, I totally get where you're coming from i mean my first songs that i ever heard when i moved to america in 78 were deuce and black diamond and to this day deuce is my one song that if i don't hear that live or if you know if i go anywhere that is the one i'm taking with me even though it's not necessarily my favorite kiss song it's that it's so imprinted on my my personal kiss experience that i could totally understand if if your first experience was uh kiss alive too yeah and it's a good song it it, it, it's a absolutely cracker and I think, am I right in thinking that on, um, do, 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 where is it, where have I put it? Yeah, I remember on side four of this um, Kiss Takes Tokyo, when you put the needle on I Stole Your Love, because it's a bootleg, you just get these, <laughs> and it, the bombs on it, you know, the, the, the explosions on it and stuff, and I just think that riff just, that opening riff is just amazing. But, I mean, to be honest, with a, with a band that's got such a massive back catalogue as they have, I mean, that's a bit cruel to um, to, to, to say what's your favourite 
Kiss song because they, you know, they also. Do you not sort of change your favourite song from time to time? You know, never. No, never. It's always Deuce, is it? Yeah, it, it's always Deuce. And yeah. uh, you know, if I if you ask me Def Leppard, I'll say the same song. If you ask me the Pistols, I'll say the same song. Uh, all, yeah. all my fa- Judas Priest, always the same songs for right. those bands. My favourite albums may change because that's a, that's a little bit easier to move around. Um, yeah. Last question, mm. and that. Um, Actually, it's a, it's a two-parter. Glenn didn't play on the B side of your single, did he? Or did he? No, he didn't. No, I um I I right up till um right up till quite late. It was it was me. I I, I left myself on there. Um, and then when I handed it over to be mixed by Jim, because Jim Lowe, um, not only is the you know the phonics producer and all that sort of thing, but he was the bass player in Glenn Matlock and the Philistines, and. I, I liked the way Jim played. He played like me with a plectrum, you know, or pick, as you say. And uh, but we, we're really good. We're really good friends. And that's another thing about this single is I wanted it to be just chock full of friends, people I care about, you know. And uh, and I felt I feel that way about Jim. And I just said to Jim, "Would you do the bass? Do you you know when you would you redo the bass?" And I, and and initially he was a bit sort of yeah, but. I, why do you want me to do that? I said, well, because I'd like, I'd like you to play on it. You know, I'd like you to play on it. And I must say, with my headphones on, listening to it intently, yes, it's very similar to the bass line I put out, but there's the odd little touch that is just Jim. And I'm really glad. I'm really glad that I got him to play on it, you know, and I'm, I'm glad it's a four-piece band on each track. So uh, that's the answer to that one. That's why I asked Jim to do it, was because we're good mates. I like his style. Um, and uh, it's you know no one would have noticed if I'd have left my bass on there. But to me, like I say, it, it was a thing that's done from the heart, and I wanted my mate on it on the other side. It, it makes it fun. And obviously, I complimented your production at the at the top here. And you know, I I really don't go through the credits before doing that. I gave you a a, a totally honest evaluation of just what yeah. I got out of the single. Yeah. Production-wise, where do you want to be going? I mean, is that an area that you'd like to do more of, moving into the production realm? And, Definitely. And and if so, what sort of bands would you be interested in working with? What, where's your wheelhouse, so to speak? Um, well, I'm still. Um, I think one of the things that keeps you sort of uh, a bit, a, you know, younger of head. That's you know, younger of mind um, more than anything else is to just keep dipping into um, stuff that stretches you, and then you can go into your sort of comfort zone as well. And well, the first thing I produced was uh, a, a girl called Sasha Luffman, who was um, 16 and and a brand new artist sort of thing. And I went into the studio with her and did uh, four track EP. And uh, what I loved about that was that um, obviously she she knew that I was the guy with the experience and all that sort of stuff and she didn't know how to sort of work anything and all that something but when we were recording I loved the fact that she would go she would stop me occasionally when I was doing guitars or whatever and say um Dave that sounds a bit 90s you know (laughs) (laughs) and I'd realize she's absolutely right you know I I was using like a chorus pedal and a delay and stuff and I just I was being lazy and I, I wasn't and she pulled me up on things so um you know Sasha Sasha was great, you know, um, and like I said, um, I, I produced the debut album by Dax and Roxanne. That's D A X and Roxanne with only one N. They're from Switzerland, and uh, we got some nine out of tens for the album, for the review, you know, for the reviews and stuff. It was amazing, and that was my first production job on an album, a full album, taking a band 
that is like young 20 year old guy 20 in their 20s sorry um guys in their 20s um into the studio and doing that and uh did you did you see the picture of joe elliott holding the sleeve next to his head (laughs) yeah bloody joe god that's fantastic because um you know and they've got some amazing gigs coming out they're supporting him at the at the roundhouse which is a massive venue in london and stuff and uh, a legendary venue isn't it so i think that my production on that you know um without you know patting myself too much on the back because i really wasn't i'll be quite honest that i wasn't you know i wasn't sure when i went in can i produce these four lads and will they listen to me and all this sort of stuff you know um but uh, it was a very successful thing. And next Thursday and Friday, we're actually going back into the studio together and I'll be producing another couple of tracks for them because they're going to reissue the album as a deluxe edition because that's what you do these days. You, you, know, you give your album a year and then, um, and then release it again with a couple of extra tracks. But it's great. I mean, uh, and the cover, the sleeve was done by the guy that did uh, the Nightmare on Elm Street posters and all that sort of stuff. But uh, yeah, if you like, like Def Leppard and you like you know, classic rock then um dax and roxanne are, are good to check out and if anyone out there needs a producer <laughs> um then then i guess i can i can do that for you but i do like it i also did a film soundtrack um uh, i've done two film soundtracks um for independent you know independent productions nothing that's uh, gonna you know blow your socks off with uh you know, it wasn't fast and furious 10 or whatever it was uh you know, little things, but I loved doing that as well. I loved the fact that they would send me time-coded footage and tell me what was going on and what the story was. And I've got a studio upstairs, and uh, I like the solitude of basically just looking at the the visuals and how am I going to fit this. And sometimes it's strings, sometimes it's you know it's different. I mean, that's across the board with the stuff that I do. I mean, I, I mentioned the Tony Visconti thing, and that was doing an album for a lady called Daphne Guinness. And Daphne Guinness has done one album already, um, and the new one comes out in March. But I've I've co-written and uh, played guitar on on a track there, and um, I remember I got sent some footage of Tony Visconti um, recording the twenty-two piece orchestra on it, you know, and and I was, it's just amazing because when me and Daphne and and Malcolm, who was the other co-writer. Um, when we were actually writing it, it was just, it was just the three of us chaotically. You know, I just had a guitar and Daphne was just singing and we sent a demo at the end of the night. It was about two o'clock in the morning. We just winged it over to Tony via email. And in the morning when we got to the studio, um, he just said, uh, I, I really like that song. I really like that song you sent over here. We, we, I think we should do it for the album. You know, it wasn't done for that. It wasn't, we weren't trying to make one for the album. We were just having fun. You know, we just we just did it, but and it ended up with a 22-piece orchestra on it. <laughs> and uh, and when I went back to the studio to see how everything was going on, there was Andy Mackay from Roxy Music doing some saxophone on something. You know, bloody hell! And, yeah, I know. That's well, that, those were my words. Slightly harder, but um, yeah, they 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 were. And uh, so I I just I love music, but my two favourite bands, if you had to Desert Island it as well, are Kiss and Sex Pistols. You know, that is the, that that's those are the two that do it for me. But there's a lot of obviously working with a lot of Bowie's musicians. I've really, really got a new appreciation of Bowie. I always liked him. You know, I all right. So, out. so what's your Bowie album? Pick pick your Bowie album right now. Ooh, low. Really? Yeah. Wow. Okay. All scary monsters. All scary monsters. Wow, that, that's to- I'm 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 way deep in the mix stuff. So uh, I'll go with Ziggy for mine. Yeah. 
you know, obviously the Def Leppard connection there and all, all the stuff that they've done over the years, I guess, has uh, pegged me back into that rather than Hunky Dory or anything that came on afterwards. But uh, yeah, I mean, but but I mean, you say about the Ziggy thing is like, I mean, did did you know that I was I was the original bass player in Holy Holy, uh, Woody Woodmansey's band? Jeez, oh, Woody. Yeah, yeah. So I was I was the bass player in that. It was myself, um, the aforementioned Malcolm that wrote with me and Daphne, um, uh, Steve Norman from Spandau Ballet, um, and uh, that I mean that's again that's a weird friendship that I've had. I never thought I would be friends, good friends with a with a member of Spandau Ballet, you know. Um, but he's a lovely bloke and an amazing musician. Plays guitar like a you know demon and and percussion and everything. But yeah, it was again that was one of those sort of all star band things put together and stuff. But I remember the, the the it was the third in a row of three gigs, the first three gigs we did, and I was very, very nervous at the job because Trevor Boulder had not long passed away. It hadn't been long, and I was doing the best on bass that I could, you know, um, with that behind me. But have you have you heard Woody Woodman see play? He's, yeah. I mean, he's an old fella now, and he is a he's an absolute dynamo at it and um and, and afterwards um he came up to me afterwards and he went uh, just in his lovely hull accent he just went trevor would have thought that was all right <laughs> you know just a totally, just, totally dura accent and and voice yeah. yeah yeah all right yeah 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 that that was all right that was you know, and so, uh, and then obviously I had to shift over from the bass position because Tony Visconti came on board to do the Man Who Sold the World album. Um, you know, the, sorry, the redoing it. Mm-hmm. You know, they did the whole of it in its entirety. Whereas we were doing a little bit of everything from Woody's era. You know, so we did a lot of Ziggy Stardust. Um, and uh, but I, I then got shifted over for for like bits and pieces on rhythm guitar. So I was I was I got the electric out for Suffragette City at gigs <sighs> and. Um, and I was on acoustic for, oh, fuck, I can't remember what it was. <laughs> I played 12-string on something. But um, but now, I mean, uh, again, Holy Holy, um, you know, they're, they're gig- they are a true all-star band now. Um, you know, I mean, eventually um, I, I stepped out. Just it just it was a natural sort of thing. I'm still we're all still very very good friends. And like I said, I worked with Tony last year, and um, Woody's always very pleased to see me. And I was his drum tech for a while after that, which was really nice as well. You know, I was just happy to be involved. You know, and that's the thing, Julian. It's like I say, I've I've I've, I've dropped a lot of names, I know, but I can't help it because it's what I do. But um, yeah, I went from being the bass player to the rhythm guitarist on a you know and and, and filling in a little bit, and then when it was decided that it should be a real proper all-star band with, you know, all the Bowie connections and all mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. Um, you know, I just said, well, I'll be a drum tech then. Because why wouldn't you? You know, I've got to pay the mortgage somehow. And, and so a job's a job, and it's with people I absolutely love, you know, because and, everyone... And, and you stay close to the music. I mean, come yeah. on, they're not going to... You need a drum tech regardless. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing is, like with Glenn's band and stuff, I mean, I, I mentioned to you that we our backing vocalists were Elizabeth Westwood, who was in Westworld in, in the sort of 80s, and I I had pictures of her on my wall, and Viv Albertine, but, uh, which me and Viv have had a good laugh about. Um, you, you know what the front cover of the Cut album looks like, don't you? No, I don't, actually. It it's, the, it's the three members of the Slits naked, covered in mud, in loincloths. Well, um, and so uh, 
yeah we'll move on from that but yeah so um but the backing vocalists in glenn's band were maggie ronson mick ronson's sister mm-hmm. um uh, tracy hunter ian hunter's daughter and elizabeth westwood from westworld and um you know and in holy holy we had jessica who was is tony visconti's daughter and uh it's just just a great vibe you know i mean I, i'm a very lucky bloke i really am a very lucky guy really when it comes to music um there's 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 just been some absolute shining moments and like i said in the song lifetime you know i mean there there's you've always got to think that the next things you know the next thing you never know what the next thing's going to be so you know you've got to keep a happy happy face on it and of course glenn did perform at the mick uh, ronson memorial concert didn't he I, yes, I, I know. I know you weren't a part of that, but uh, mm. you know th- that that's a hell of a CD to pick up. Obviously, Def Leppard connections on there, mix yeah, on there. Yeah. I think uh, Roger Daltrey we, is on there. Tracy, um, Tracy Hunter's a really good friend of Joe Elliott's, and they did a single together. <clears throat> you know, um, there's a there's a Tracy Hunter Joe Elliott single. Did he? Because uh, I I know he did. Uh, what was it? Mix last album was it? Uh, Heaven and Hull. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, and who produced and who produced the Rich Kids album? Jeez, uh, you just said it. Yep. Mick Ronson. Yep. Mick Ronson. Yeah. So, so uh, you know, music. What what I love about talking, having this sort of conversation is music, and how glorious yeah. it is. If you think about one of my all-time favorite albums, uh, and then we'll lead out of here. Uh, it's Cybernauts, which obviously oh. is Phil Collin, Joel, yeah. Woody, um, Trevor. And I always, yeah. I always forget the last player on there, but you know, yeah, yeah. basically the best of Bowie, the best of Mick, you know, Angel Number Nine, damn, yeah. um, and some uh, other really good stuff, Lou Reed, on there. Yeah, yeah. Just, just Wait, absolutely. Oh, I've, got, I've got to tell you this. I've got to tell you this story because it's just so funny. Because Glenn told me this story, and um, and I think you'll appreciate it. You know, and I, I think it's okay for air. Um, but basically what it was was that when um, Mick Ronson told him it's, it's a Mick Ronson story that basically when he was producing um, uh, Transformer you know the, the Lou Reed album yeah. with Perfect Day and all that sort of stuff on it which he did all the strings for and everything I believe you know but basically halfway through the day Lou had gone out for a while and uh, this, um, this this fella came in dressed as a lady um and uh, one of one of one of the uh, more interesting types in 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 the world and um apparently he came in and he said is you know is is Lou here and uh, Mick said no he's no he's gone out sorry and he said oh you know I'll 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 catch him later sort of thing and the, and and the uh, and the and the guy left you know and um and Mick Ronson obviously being from Hull you know um Obviously, he didn't have any prejudices or anything and stuff, but he wasn't quite down with it and stuff. So when Lou Reed came back, apparently Mick Ronson said, uh, "Oh, Lou, while you were out, one of them Transformers came in," <laughs> and that's how the album got its name. <laughs> it was Transformer. He meant transvestite, but, <laughs> but he, oh, he, he did, brilliant. You know, that's uh, one of them Transformers. So uh, yeah. I love that story. I just because it's so naive and lovely, isn't it? It's kind of uh, it's quite sweet. It's uh, it's very down to earth. All right, let's bring this one to a close because we have gone on. We've covered a lot of ground. Um, we and, have, and we didn't even get to talk public image. But there you go. That'll no. be that'll be another conversation. You did mention John and uh, Keith Levine. Um, yeah. 
David Donnelly obviously has uh, the Venus Reaction single out. We hope you've enjoyed the couple of samples that are out there. Um, I will post the links to both of the websites for for you. Again, very limited edition. This is, a, again, a, a KISS fan making music. And if you've, you know, kind of gotten part of the conversation that we've had today about all these influences, all these things that come into music, and you like yeah. what David has made, um, I, I certainly recommend it. I, I, I'm not going to do a two-hour show with someone if I don't recommend it. It, it yeah. really is, as my catchphrase is, as simple as that. I'm not, I'm not going to yeah. waste time trying to push anything on anyone. I wanted to talk to you about music. I wanted to talk to you about being a Kiss fan in England and having yeah. that experience that I, I kind of never had to, never got because of yeah. when, I, yeah. when I lived there and when I lived in Scotland, you know, it, it was just fun to talk with you today about music. So I, yeah. I very much appreciate you coming on the show and uh, talking with us on, you know, kind of a side topic that we don't really get the opportunity to go into. So it's been an absolute pleasure. I have to say, it's really, really nice. It's really good. And like I say, I, I've, I've, I've been watching the uh, Kiss FAQ, you know, since uh, since episode one. And uh, I think the whole sort of Kiss community and uh, can we call it the Kiss family? It kind of is, isn't it? You know, because uh, we, we have to be. We're we're all you know into the same band. We're in different places, different countries, different politics. None of it matters when you drop the needle and put on the music. Yeah. All of that shit goes out the window. Exactly, exactly. It's, it's been an absolute pleasure, Julian. I hope we can do something like this again at some point. It'd be brilliant. Well, David Donnelly, thank you very much for coming on the KISS FAQ. Do pass on my appreciation of the music to all of the other players on the album. Um, I will. It's been a great fun playing the single and also talking with you about music. So for now, from David and myself, thank you for joining us on the KISS FAQ podcast, and we will see you, I guess, wherever we see you. Take yeah. care. Bye for now. Bye. Thank you for spending time listening to the KISS FAQ podcast today. All sales are final. There are no refunds. If you'd like, look us up on Facebook or come over to the KISS FAQ message board and discuss the topic we've broadcast today. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes, Spreaker, or wherever you've listened to the show. We hope you'll join us again.